The death penalty, or capital punishment, has been abolished in Australia for many years now. Tonight, I look back at two cases, Jean Lee and Ronald Ryan, who were the last female and last male to be executed in Australia, and the controversy over their convictions that still remains today. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So tonight, I jump into the last two death penalty cases for a man and a woman in Australia and go into a bit of the history of how and why it was abolished. Also, we will see about the controversies surrounding both those cases. It got longer than I thought it would, so I'm breaking it up into two parts. I'll have part two in a few days' time. The first bit, about the death penalty, I'll take from the Law Council of Australia website. Since 8am on the 2nd of February 1967 and the hanging of Ronald Ryan at Melbourne's Pentridge Prison, no one has been executed by the state in Australia. And I'll get into Ryan's case in part two. Since the passage of the Death Penalty Act 1973, the death penalty has not been applied in respect to offences under the law of the Commonwealth and Territories for all federal offences. The term of life imprisonment replaced the death penalty as the maximum penalty. However, the states and territories legislated against the death penalty at various different times. The first to abolish it was Queensland in 1922, while the last was my home state, New South Wales, which, although they did abolish the death penalty for murder in 1955, they retained the death penalty for treason and piracy until 1985. In fact, Queensland was the first part of the British Commonwealth to abolish hanging. Now, when Queensland introduced an abolition bill in 1915, the main arguments against capital punishment were 1. Prisoners could not fully repent of their crime if executed. 2. Many prisoners were mentally ill. Now, this is very relevant today. 3. There was no evidence that capital punishment acted as a deterrent. 4. There was the possibility that innocent people could be executed and this point is also very relevant in whether the death penalty should be abolished. Now there was the pro-campaign and they argued that there were more important issues at the time. Now when they were debating this the First World War was on so yes you can imagine there was more important issues at that time. Capital punishment, this is number two, was in fact a deterrent to crime. So, as you can see, there are two camps on whether it provides a deterrent or not, and it can be argued either way. Three, the absence of the death penalty would result in the rise of public vigilantism. Now, this is a fair point. 
The legislation did not pass the first time round. That was in 1915. But in 1922, in a modified form, the Criminal Code Amendment Act was passed and this provided that the sentence of punishment by death shall no longer be pronounced or recorded and the punishment of death shall no longer be inflicted. So capital punishment was formally abolished in Queensland from July the 3rd, 1922. The next state to abolish capital punishment was Tasmania, and that was 46 years later in 1968. On March the 11, 2010, federal parliament passed laws that prevent the death penalty from being reintroduced by any state or territory in Australia. So it's Gonski now. So... Australia has been capital punishment free for over 30 years, but whether or not it should be introduced always gets raised in the media when a heinous crime is committed. So, if you've followed my Facebook page, you may have seen and participated in the little death penalty poll I posted a day or so ago. Well, it's a few more days than that now. So, thank you all for participating and the results were very interesting. At the time I wrote this, there were 60 people against the death penalty, 33 for the death penalty, and 23 people were unsure. There was a huge range of reasons given, with some people changing their minds over the years, others wanting the convicted to suffer in jail, while others saying that they shouldn't be paying to keep them alive. There are also a few comments about innocent people being executed and others on death row having their convictions overturned. So if you want to go and join the closed group on Facebook, that's True Crime Island, you can go and read through the comments and participate in the debate. I'll just ask one thing, just to be respectful when posting, and thank you everyone has so far. So... That's a little bit of the background of the death penalty in Australia. I won't be getting into how the death penalty was used pre-British colonisation by the Indigenous people, but they did have their own system of laws which did include the death penalty. Now, I will be talking about the last woman and the last man to be executed in Australia. First off, I'll tell you about Jean Lee. She was born 1919 at Dubbo, New South Wales, the daughter of a railway worker. She had a pretty normal childhood and eventually moved to Sydney, where she was described as rebellious by her Catholic schoolgirl colleagues. Jean was described as a buxom and beautiful redhead. She married in 1939 and soon had a child. However, her unfaithful husband would desert her nine years later and leave her with the child. Jean would give her baby to her mother to raise and her mother would gain custody of the child after a bitter court battle. She only had a few shitty jobs and either left or was fired from them. The period of her life just after World War II Jean would become known as a good-time girl amongst the American servicemen stationed in Sydney. 
Her ex-crim boyfriend at the time, who was violent towards her, would also pimp her out and she was supporting both of them. Now, the next bit is unclear but doesn't really make much difference either way. It is when she left her boyfriend in Sydney and I'm not sure if this is where she met Robert David Clayton or if she moved to Melbourne and then met him. But anyway, Jean ends up in Melbourne where she would become involved in petty crime. Robert David Clayton was a bit of a scumbag and had several low-level convictions on his rap sheet. As their relationship grew, and I'm not sure if that's the right word, progressed maybe. Anyway, as time went on, the relationship became abusive with Jean becoming the subject of Clayton's aggressions and anxieties. It wasn't long before Clayton started pimping Jean out. As you can see, Jean seemed to be attracted to men that will abuse her and are willing to pimp her out. The couple joined up with Norman Andrews, who Clayton met in prison. They devised what was called the Badger Scam. This involved Jean luring drunk guys to a car, house or hotel on the promise of sex. Once the Mark had his dax down and ready for some boom boom, Clayton, acting as Jean's angry husband, and Andrews would turn up. They would extort money and valuables from the men who were too scared of physical harm or being named in divorce proceedings. You see, back then Australia was very conservative and for your wife to find out you were being named in a divorce case would have meant divorce for your own ass, or at least ridicule and humiliation in the community. So, usually this worked a charm, with only a few guys resisting, but they were easily sorted out by Clayton and Andrews, and eventually handed over the loot. They were only reported to police on two occasions, but I'm unsure whether any action was taken against the group. Well, the scam was going quite well for a while, but on the night of November 7th, 1949, the trio noticed 73-year-old William Pop Kent in a Melbourne hotel lounge. William was an SP bookie and landlord. Being an SP bookie, which is a guy that takes bets, he had a lifetime of dealing with thugs and was a bit of a hard nut. Jean sat with him, and had a few drinks, and soon she'd persuaded him to take her back to his house for a bit of fun. Once they arrived at his house, Jean went about picking his pockets. Although drunk, William noticed her trying to make a grab for his wallet and immediately jumped up and fought with Jean. She grabbed a bottle from the table and hit William over the head. On hearing the commotion, Clayton and Andrews burst into the room and quickly restrained William. His hands were tied behind his back and his thumbs tied together with shoelaces. They repeatedly kicked and beat him as they tried to get him to reveal where he kept his money, but tough old William refused to tell them. They then started stabbing him, but he would still not tell them anything. Eventually, they strangled him. So William Pop Kent was a tough old bugger, amazing that he didn't tell them where the money was. 
I think he knew that they were going to kill him regardless, so he felt at best they didn't get anything much out of him. And I reckon, good on you. It wasn't long before police tracked down the trio, who were found with blood-stained clothes in their hotel rooms. They were questioned separately and initially denied any involvement, but soon were blaming each other for the murder. The trial, it was held on March 20th, 1950 at Melbourne's Criminal Court. They were tried together over six days, and although they each tried to shift blame towards the other, the trial judge, Mr Justice Gavin Duffy, explained the law of common purpose to the jury. So, if a group take part in a violent robbery and murder, then they are all equally guilty, regardless of who actually does the killing. The jury took less than three hours to find them all guilty and they were all sentenced to death by hanging. Jean Lee became hysterical and she collapsed while Clayton shouted abuse at the jury. They appealed their conviction at the Court of Criminal Appeal and it was upheld by a two-to-one majority decision on the 23rd of June 1950. It was ruled that their statements to the police had been obtained improperly, being that the statement of one was used to extract confessions from the other two. Although they were granted a retrial, this was not to be, as the High Court overturned the Appeal Court and reinstated the convictions and sentences. No woman had been executed in Victoria since Emma Williams in 1895. Not that there were no candidates, rather they would often be given harsh custodial terms rather than the death penalty. There were a lot of protests, and it wasn't so much that Jean Lee was going to be executed, it was more along the lines of the way it was to be done, by hanging. Now, while researching the death penalty in Australia, I found one instance of death by firing squad in Australia, and that was of an indigenous Australian elder called Mijaguru. He was executed on the 22nd of May 1833 for resisting white settlement in the area of Perth, Western Australia. All other executions were by hanging. Awaiting her date with the gallows, Jean Lee became more and more violent, with massive mood swings. She would be begging for mercy one day and abusing the guards another. She kept pleading that she was innocent, that they never intended to kill anyone. With the protest going on, Lee was convinced that she would never be executed. She told one of the warders, I just didn't do it. I haven't enough strength in my hands to choke anyone. Bobby was stupid, but the old man was trying to yell for help. None of us meant to kill him. As the date of her execution grew closer, Jean became more and more erratic. All three, Jean Lee, Robert Clayton and Norman Andrews, were all due to be hanged on the same day. So, on the 19th of February 1951, at Pentridge Prison in Melbourne, it had been it had been decided that Jean Lee would be the first to hang at 8am 
and her two accomplices would be executed a couple of hours later. Jean was heavily sedated as she was taken to a double cell and her height and weight was recorded. She was 5 foot 7 and 7 stone 6 pounds or 170 centimetres and 47 kilograms. So she had hardly any weight on her at all. The drop was set to exactly 8 feet or just under 2.5 metres. Sheriff William Daly read the death warrant to her and on seeing the hangman and his assistant, who wore large felt hats and goggles, she collapsed. A doctor checked her out and declared her unconscious, but the sheriff continued to read out the details of her conviction and sentence, even though she didn't hear a word of it. As she was unconscious, the executioner tied her arms around the front rather than her back and tied a strap around her legs. A white hood was placed over her head. They carried her to the gallows where they placed her on a chair that was positioned on the trap door, as she was still unconscious and of course she couldn't stand. The executioner had to pull her head back as it had fallen forward against her chest. He tightened the noose around her neck. The flap of her hood had been kept open and at the signal from the sheriff, the executioner dropped the flap to hide her face, took a step back and pulled the lever. Jean and the chair fell through the trapdoor and as the chair had been tied to the gallows, they parted company and she fell normally. The knot had been placed under her left ear and it was said she died instantly. At 8.05am, she was examined by a doctor and found to have no pulse or heartbeat. Her death certificate was signed at 8.20am. At 10am, both Robert Clayton, 32, and Norman Andrews, 38, were also hanged. Clayton's last words were, Goodbye, Charlie, and Andrews' last words were, Goodbye, Robert. So... These three scumfuckles ended up paying the ultimate price for the torture and murder of a 73-year-old William Pop Kent. Now, if they were to be tried today, they would be sentenced on a murder charge or a manslaughter charge. I doubt whether any of them went into the robbery with the intent to kill, so if they had been found guilty on a manslaughter charge, they probably would have got off on a much lighter sentence. There was the female thing as well. Although the protest about sending Jean to the gallows was more over the death penalty itself rather than her being a woman. It must be said that there is a theory that the government didn't want to go soft on this crime. During the Second World War, when women stepped up and found themselves in traditional male roles in factories and manufacturing, this had started giving them more independence and the more conservative of the establishment wanted the hanging of Jean to serve notice to woman to get back into the kitchen and not lead such independent hussy lifestyles. You can imagine the meeting they had discussing how women were getting out of hand and hussies like Jean needed to be used as an example of what happens when women have some sort of independence. Well, 
my view on this one was, yeah, they were three arseholes ripping off people under duress, but I don't think they went into it to murder anyone. I think they would would have been happy continuing their scam for as long as possible without the complication of killing anyone. However, they did and were sentenced under the law at the time. Probably life would have been more suitable, but you play with dogs and you get fleas. There would be 36 more murder convictions in Victoria and 16 years after Jean and her cohorts hung before the next execution, and that will be the subject of part two of The Last to Hang. Ronald Joseph Ryan. Well, that's all in part one. I'll be releasing part two very soon. I apologise for the delay in this week's episode, but life just got in the way. Part two will be close to an hour, so to do it justice, I had to split this episode into two parts. I'll do the usual housekeeping then in regards to Patreon as well, And remember, go to Facebook and join the closed group True Crime Island to participate in the debate and the poll on the death penalty. So, this is your host Cambo, you've been listening to True Crime Island, and as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.